You ready? Because as I pray for him, I'm praying for you as well. I want, I really, we prayed earlier. We prayed that you'd be impacted tonight. Wouldn't that be wonderful if God touched you and he changed your life? He changed some priorities in your life? Something in the word of God, because it's living, is going to get inside of you. It's going to change you. That's our expectation. Drew's going to do what he can do, but the Holy Spirit's going to do what he can't. And so we bless Drew tonight. I thank you for him. I thank you that he has been studying to make himself as one approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be shamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. God, uh, enable him to divide it tonight and to open it up for us that we may be impacted by it. We bless him, and we bless all who hear. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. You know, I, uh, I love coming back here. It feels a little bit like coming home, um, probably mainly because I lived here for like two years. Um, but other, other than that, um, I want you, I mean, how many of you are new with like in the last like year or two at Communitas? I would guess probably most. Um, for those of you even within the past three or four years, do you know that this is something extraordinarily special? I hope, I hope you understand that. Um, this has been happening for nine years. And there's been like churches that have, have opened their doors and shut their doors in that time. Ministries that have started and ended. Um, and it's not a statement against those ministries or churches, but I think it's a statement for what the Holy Spirit is doing in this place. Um, to have this going on nine years and have it going strong with good, strong leadership, with good, strong preaching, good worship, that's a really special thing. I know many of you are probably in your 20s, right? Most of you probably between somewhere between 18 and 30. So you don't have a grid for like how special that is. But I'm, I'm telling you, the, more, the longer you live your life, the more you'll see, man, this is, this is a really, really special thing. I remember literally nine years ago, I think this fall, nine years ago this fall, sitting right up above us here, uh, the very first one of these gatherings that, that I, I was at. Uh, I was a junior in college. I remember where I was sitting on the couch. I remember Paul looking out and saying, I, I believe um, there's people in this room that are going to change the world. I never heard anybody talk like that before, much less to a bunch of 20-somethings. I would, I would venture to guess he's probably still saying it today, right? Um, so a, sp- a special thing, Paul and I had a chance to catch up. I was part of a, kind of one of the first leadership teams of Communitas, blessed to serve. I'm um, here for about five, six years. Um, just really wonderful ministry. And Paul and I, the other day, were kind of just laughing together and crying together, re- remembering some of the funny and sad and everywhere in between times. Um, God has just done a, a tremendous amount in this house. So I just want to honor Paul and Karen, the way they've opened up their homes to you guys. Um, it's pretty awesome. Um, I'm pretty sure Karen thinks Paul's crazy most of the time. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, probably similar to how my wife feels about me most of the time, right? Yeah, okay. Um, so just, just I, want, I want to acknowledge that from the get-go. This is a special thing, that God is here, God is with us. The Holy Spirit wants to do a work in us tonight. My prayer, whenever I, whenever I speak, whenever I preach, is that God would do the work that only he can do in our hearts. Um, all I can do is open my mouth and, and, and preach the word of God. Um, and that's all I can do. I, I, I'm limited. I cannot change hearts. I cannot change minds. None of us can. So it's a good place to start off tonight by just confessing our utter dependence on God. Just utterly, we are so dependent. I, I, uh, I love this time of the year because every once in a while you'll be driving and you'll see like a, like a train of geese walking across the road. You know what I'm saying? There's like a, a mama and like seven babies and they're just taking their time, right? Like they're like, there's like, there's like 400 cars lined up um, and they're just stopped, right? So these, these geese are walking across the road like they own the joint, and there's these literally like 1,000-pound killing machines that just stop on a dime for these geese. I'm like, these geese are ridiculous. Do they know that I could just run them over right now and kill them? Um, I, I wouldn't. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I wouldn't. She's like, what is this, where's he going with this? Um, but I wonder how many of us live our lives like those, ge- like, like, like those geese walking around like we're indestructible, like we have it all figured out, like, like nothing can touch me. And I love how real the Bible is with us about struggle. Like, I love that. Like, I love that biblical faith doesn't ask us to deny reality, right? Like, we, we don't have to come into this place as if we have to come in and, like, leave our trouble at the door as if it was there waiting for us when we left. You don't have to come in here and pretend like everything's okay when it's not, right? And I hope if you're here tonight and everything's not okay, I hope you're free to just be, be real about that. And I'll say it again, biblical faith doesn't ask us to deny reality. 
Because God is a God of reality. Uh, Paul says this a lot. Whenever we try to get spiritual, God gets physical on us, right? Like he's a God of, of the reality. He's a God of, of real stuff. So tonight, I, that's what I kind of want to speak to a little bit. One of my favorite scriptures, this is a scripture for me, um, that when I started to rightly understand it, it, made, it started to make a lot of life help make sense. Like, I just, all of a sudden when I understood this rightly, I, I read this and I studied it and God did a work in me. Life all of a sudden started to kind of click in place for me. It made sense. So if you're here tonight, if you're thinking, I just don't understand my life. I don't understand what's going on. Like, it's kind of this thing, like, we have, there's kind of this lie in the Christian life, right? Like, once you become a Christian, so between your conversion, right, and your death, like, life should be awesome, Right? I mean, all the way through, it should, we should be like, like rainbows and butterflies and unicorns all the way through, right? Like, I'm, I'm a Christian now. Nothing can touch me, right? Like, this is, I'm like bubble boy, Christian bubble boy, right? Nothing can get at me. I'm protected. I'm safe. And, there, and there's truth to those statements, right? But for anybody who's been Christian for longer than like an hour, like, you know that there's, there's some falsity to that, right? Am I right? Like, as you're walking through life and stuff is happening, reality is happening people are sinning against you right you're dealing with your own sin like stuff happens in life and just because you're a christian doesn't mean you start you have to stop dealing with reality the reality of life right so i want to start with the end then i'm going to back up and i want to get there but if you hear nothing else from me tonight hear this okay i know in a room a lot of you are 20 somethings i love this stage of life because like the whole world is in front of you so many possibilities. You're probably wondering, what is God's call in my life? What does he want from me? What is he going to do in me? Like, who am I going to marry? And be asking that question, who am I going to marry? So glad I had that question answered early in my life. Um, but if you're here tonight and you're wrestling with that, that's okay. Okay? Singleness is a gift. All right? It's a gift. Okay? But you're asking questions about that, right? Some of you here tonight wondering, what am I going to do? Like, I feel called into ministry. I feel called into business. I feel called into fill in the blank, right? I feel called. What does that look like? Like, what do I do about that? And what, what, better yet, what does God have to say about that, right? Like, what is, what is God doing? So between the, 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 the conversion, my conversion to Christ, my belief in the, in the saving, the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and when I go to, to be home with, with Christ, whenever I, whether it's tomorrow or 80 years from now, like, what happens in between? Like, what is God doing? Every after the question, like, man, what are you doing, God? It's okay. It's a real question, right? And again, I love that the Bible is just really real about that. Like, we see all throughout the Bible, people struggle and wrestle, right? I, I love that we see that right away with, with Moses, right? He, he feels a calling on his life. Um, he knows he was born a Hebrew, right? But he's living the life, life with the Egyptians, and he sees a, a Hebrew being mistreated, and he feels this thing kind of rise up in him, and he, and, he, and he actually murders the Egyptian, right? And God's like, oh, man, you were so close. You need 40 years in the desert, bro, <laughs> right? Backside of the desert with you. Moses is 40 at that point, right? I'm 30. It's 10 years from my age right now that Moses gets sent to the backside of the desert. 40 years from there when he's 80, when he even starts in ministry, right? It's incredible. Okay, so I want to I tell you from the get-go tonight, if you hear nothing else from me tonight, hear this. Your future ministry, your future marriage, your future job, your future life, okay, will never be just shaped, okay, by your circumstances, but it will be primarily shaped by the condition of your heart. I'm going to say that again. Your future ministry, your future life with God, your future marriage, your future job, your future house, wherever you end up, wherever God is taking you, will never be, never be primarily shaped by your gifting. It'll never be primarily shaped by how much money you have, by what happens to you. It will be primarily shaped by the condition of your heart, which also means that your biggest problem it's not out here, but it's right here. My biggest problem is me. Can I just confess that to you? Because when I walk around, when I go to different circumstances, I follow me around. I don't know about you. I'm everywhere I go. <laughs> I, am the common, I am the common denominator in every single one of my problems. I just can't get away from that. So I'm, I'm not saying that things outside of you will not affect your life, right? I'm not saying that people don't sin against you that there aren't contributing factors, right, to your problems. Your primary problem is yourself. The biggest problem in your ministry is you. The biggest problem in my ministry is me. The biggest problem in my marriage is me. My wife's biggest problem in her marriage is herself, right? And it sounds funny to say it that way, but if we started looking at life in this way, because I think God knows something that we don't, and I pray that tonight as we're going through this, I don't want this to be harsh, but I want this to be extremely loving, but I want it to be very truthful as well. Okay, so I want to be truthful tonight with the Word of God. If you have your Bibles with you, open those to Romans chapter 8. One of the, 
Um, arguably, I think one of the, probably the best chapter in the New Testament, maybe the entire scriptures, one of my favorite chapters. And I want to I focus in on a verse tonight that I th- like to call um, a cri- one of those Christian coffee cup verses. You know what I'm saying? Like if you've been in the church for any amount of time and a Christian for a long time, you probably have this on a coffee cup somewhere in your house or on a t-shirt. Um, or your parents probably have this embroidered like on a wall somewhere, right? Um, Romans 8, or chapter 8, verse 28. I would guess most of you know it by heart. I want to read this. I'm going to pray for us one more time, and we're going to just jump right in because I want to do some, do some work tonight. I want, the, I want to let this word go quickly. So Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you that, that no matter what culture would say, no matter what our emotions would say, no matter what our eyes would see, no matter what our ears would hear, that your word is true. God, that that's the rock that we stand on. God, we pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit, by your grace, to let your word run swiftly tonight, that it would accomplish the good purposes that you have set for it to do, not what we think it should do, not what we hope it should do. Thank you that grace doesn't always look like what we hope, but it looks like what we need. And you know what we need. So I pray that you would be the God of our greatest, deepest need tonight. Thank you that I don't have to know that, that Paul doesn't have to know, that Dan doesn't have to know, because we serve a God who knows what that is. And even more than knowing, you are involved in your creation. You are involved with your people. You are moving. You are acting. You are ordaining. Because you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. Thank you that you are here. God, we're not giving you this evening. It's already yours. We're just acknowledging that you are here and that you are powerful to save in this place. You are powerful to move in this place. You are powerful to change hearts and minds in this place. So tonight is is for you. Tonight is with you. Tonight is through you. It's all you. So we pray that you would do a work tonight that only you can do, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done here tonight on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you heard this verse before, right? You, you know this verse really well. Wonderful promise. Um, a couple things to notice about this, okay? First, who is this promise for? Right? Those who love God, right? So right away we know this is a promise for Christians, okay? So if you're here tonight, if you're kind of wrestling with your faith, that's, that's a great place to be. You're not sure if you're a Christian. You're not sure if you believe this whole God thing. Man, I'm so glad you're here. Love that you're here. I pray that you would listen. Um, this, but this message is primarily for those of us who said, yes, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he was God incarnate. I believe he walked this earth, bled and died, rose again. And now I have life because I'm trusting in him. So if you're wrestling with that tonight, that's a great place to be. I'm glad you're here. Don't feel awkward. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand right now. So take a deep breath. We'll love you for you to talk to somebody after this, to talk to me. I'd love to pray with you, to have a discussion with you. But right away we see that for those who love God, right? And we know from first, the book of 1 John that the only way that we can love God is if he has first loved us. Amen? So I can't love God unless he has first loved us. And he has already loved every single one of us perfectly in his son, right? So this is for those of us who say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. I confess my faith in him for his atoning work on the cross. Right? I can't save myself. I can't get to God. But I believe that God actually made a way for me to get to him. To kind of a side note, I love this fact. But did you know that every single religion on the face of the earth is simply man trying to get to God? Do you know that? Like all these different religions, is simply it boils down to man trying to get to God, like getting access to the divine. Because we all have this, we're created in this image of God. We know it deep down, even if we deny it's actually our God, the creator God. We know that there's something more, something I need to connect with. And so every religion is trying to get to God. Where most religions go wrong is it all, put all, puts all the emphasis on us. I got to do enough things. I got to rid myself of enough desire. I got to check enough things off the list and then God will notice me. And I love that Christianity is the only religion where God came to man. Do you know that? It's the only religion where God came all the way to us because he knew the reality of our condition is that we can't get to him. We can't save ourselves. We're dead in our sin apart from him, right? So those are, for those of us that, uh, that acknowledge that I can't get to God, God, would you save me with your grace? That's who this promise is for. And the reason I believe that it's so important for us to get is because as Christians, we need then, to then have a different perspective than the world, amen? 
Like this should change something. Like if, if a non-believer goes through, or somebody who doesn't believe on Christ, sorry, I don't want to label anybody here tonight. Somebody who, who doesn't believe or who's wrestling doesn't look at life a little differently than I do as a believer in Christ. Something is probably wrong, right? So I want the word of God, the Holy Spirit of God to change the way that I look at my life, change the way that I look at the things that are happening to me in my life, right? And that's what this is going to do tonight, I believe. So we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Anybody ever, ever, ever seen the, the movie The Princess Bride? It's kind of an old movie, right? So there's this scene um, in the movie where, where, this, where, this, where this, this guy in the movie is using this word. He's using the word inconceivable. He says inconceivable about everything. Inconceivable, right? And at one point, one of the main characters turns to him and goes, you keep using that word. I don't think that that word means what you think it means, right? I don't think that that word means what you think it means. And I have seen Christians quote this verse till they are blue in the face, right? Well, I didn't study for my test last night, but God works together all things for good. <laughs> Shut up, right? <laughs> or, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling with, with, my, with, my, with my living a, a pure life, right? And I, I just can't get this under control, right? And, uh, but I want to get married. It's okay, because God works all things together for good. That must mean he's going to give me the wife that I want. God works all things together for good. That must mean he's going to give me the job that I want. And, and you kind of laugh at that now, but I think every single one of us has that residing in us, don't we? Like, don't we have that somewhere in us where we, we look at this and we assume that God, this word good, we kind of equate it with comfort, especially in the American church, right? We are one of the most comfortable generation of culture of Christians that's ever walked the face of the earth, and it's killing us. It is killing us. Because we read this through the lens of American Christianity. What, do, what does my good mean? And what I want to say to myself and to you and to Christians is that you keep using that word good. I do not think that it means what we think it means. I do not think that it means what we think it means. A little story about this for me. So I grew up, Paul said, I, I love basketball. I had some success. I'm shocking. I know that I had success in basketball. But so played in high school, loved, loved basketball. Um, followed Christ from an early age. Had good Christian parents, um, wonderful Christian parents. Was part of, of a great church. Um, but if I'm really honest with you, I had no idea what actual faith was. Um, that's not because of my parents. It's not because of my church. It's because of my sin. It's because of I was just immature. Um, so in my mind, as long as I wasn't drinking or smoking, right, or, getting, or going with the people who did, I was in good shape. As long as at the end of the day, if, if this pile of good outweighed this pile of bad, I, I, should, I should be all right. Things should shake out in the end for me, right? Um, so I played basketball through high school. Right, and love basketball. Ended up um, having some success getting a scholarship to play Division II basketball in college. Um, loved that. Had just had aspirations of playing professionally. Never, definitely not NBA, but thinking about going overseas. Um, just loved it. Loved being on, on the floor, loving on the court, loved having people have their attention focused on me. Right, loved people cheering my name. It just felt really good. Right, and some of you are like, I do. I don't basketball. I don't really get that. But but for you, it's something. Right, it's something. Might be basketball, but it's something. Right? Something that we take a good gift from God and place it in a, in a God place in our life. It's something. It's something. So in my mind, my good was success and hoops. I was, God's plan for my life, God's good things for my life included going to college and playing basketball, having success. I'm mean, in my mind having, giving me a platform to be a good Christian man and going overseas and playing. And is that a bad goal in and of itself? No way. No way. But, but I was seeing things so wrongly. So one day, or so, I'm sorry, I played my freshman year, um, had some success in basketball, started a couple games in Division II. Um, my, going into my sophomore year was really primed to, to have a really good season. Stayed, um, lived in town all summer, worked with my strength coach. Um, it, it was just a really, I was, things were going really good. You know, I was starting to think about actually playing professionally. I, have a, I actually have a career in this. Woke up one morning, right before the fall of my sophomore year, my right arm was swollen to twice the size it was supposed to be. So I did what any smart, intellectual college kid would do, and I completely ignored it for a day. Because um, here's the deal. I was so terrified I would go to the doctor, and he would say, you're done. So I was like, well, we'll give it a day and see what happens. Woke up the next day, not good, more swollen, had, had like the, the cucumber fingers, you know, my arm was swollen up, and I was like, I, I, I got to get this checked out. So I went to the trainer. Within about six or seven hours, I was on my way to Rochester, Minnesota, the Mayo Clinic. For the next three weeks, you guys, I laid in the intensive care unit at Rochester Mayo Clinic 
with a blood clot in my shoulder. So here's the deal. And, and check this, get this, okay? So all of the work I was doing for my, for my athletic life, for my basketball life, all the, the lifting, all the Olympic lifting, all the, all the shooting, all the work, for whatever reason, and it's a God reason, the way my shoulder was put together, literally the vein in my shoulder, every time I would do anything over my head, this vein would pinch between a rib and a muscle. And over the years and years of doing that, it was slow, it was slow, it was slow, but it had literally completely closed off that vein to where all of a sudden I woke up one night and the blood flow was gone. Gone. So catch this, though. Catch this is so good. So good. The, the very thing, right, that I thought was saving me was actually literally killing me from the inside out slowly. Do you catch that? The very thing that I thought was my salvation, the thing that I thought God was calling me to, the thing that I thought God had given me, my good, was literally, and spiritually, but literally killing me from the inside out, and I had no idea. I had zero idea. So there I lay in the hospital bed with nurses and doctors over me. This is like kind of like a one-in-a-million case. You know, I, I think I lost like 45 pounds in three weeks. I had a bedpan. I couldn't get out of bed. I had a catheter. Those of you who know what a catheter is, that's, that'll humble you pretty quick, right, quickly. If you don't know what it is, Google it, but later, okay? Um, not now, right? But that'll, that'll humble you quick, all right? So here I lay in my hospital bed, and, and what I found out from the doctors was, here's what we're going to do, man. We're going to cut your shoulder open. We're going to cut out a rib. Really? A rib? We're going to cut out a rib, and we're going to sever a muscle. Just to guarantee this will never happen again. So that's what they did. And I had to, I had to learn or relearn to use my right arm again. I had to sit out a complete year of basketball, right? And as I was viewing my life through the lens of my good being success and comfort, I was seriously confused. And I would guess there's some of you tonight that are seriously confused, right? Like, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Here's the deal. The most important word of verse 28 is actually the first word of verse 29, Say it again. The most important word of verse 28 is actually the first word of verse 29. A little, little bit of hermeneutics here for you, some exegetical work. We have to read this stuff in context, guys. We have to. We have to know what the Bible is saying. We have to use the Bible to interpret the Bible, right? <laughs> to see what God is saying to us. So what is the, everyone together, what is the first word of verse 29? Four. And what this tells us, this is what we call in, in theological language a connector, right? So what this tells us, right, is that because of verse 29, verse 28, because of what I'm about to say in verse 29, this is what makes verse 28 true. Do you get that? So how do we know that all things work together for good? What does that mean? Well, keep reading. Keep reading, Christian. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Got to do some work here, right? There's some words in here that in the Christian world kind of set off some fireworks, right? Words like predestination. We're take a deep breath. I'm not here to talk about predestination tonight, okay? It's okay. We're going to be all right, all right? I'm not here to talk about that, okay? But here's what we need to, to check out. For those whom he foreknew, again, this word foreknowledge, what this means is if you're a Christian in this room tonight, that doesn't surprise God. He wasn't like, oh, I, I didn't see that coming. Paul's a Christian. That's great. I, didn't really, I really didn't have many hopes for that guy, but I'm, I'm happy that he's a Christian now, right? He, you, we don't, like, catch him off guard, right? Like, what this means, this foreknowledge, you can actually, for this word know, is this, this knowing that God has in Scripture that's more than just a knowledge of. Does that make sense? Like, when you see the word know in Scripture, what you can actually do is replace that with love. This deep sense of love that God has for the people he has created. So the way you could read this, for those whom he foreloved which is every single person on this earth that's ever walked this earth, that will ever walk this earth, that God has created in his image for those whom he foreloved. What this, what this means is that before the foundations of the world, God set into motion the chain of events that would lead to your salvation. He's not surprised that you're a Christian. He's not. He's re he rejoices and makes him joyful. Heaven celebrates, but he's not surprised by it. It's just to catch him off guard, Right? God is not surprised. So this is, this is us. This is for those who say we trust in Christ. God foreloved me, okay? It's not that all of a sudden when I start to trust in Christ that God's love is somehow active at that point, right? Like the moment I decide, okay, I believe in you, Jesus, God's like, okay, now I love you. It's not what's happening. 
beloved, what's happening is that we're acknowledging the love that God has always had for us. When I become a Christian, I'm not saying, God, thank you for loving me. Now I'm saying, God, thank you for already loving me perfectly in Christ. And I'm acknowledging that that is true right now. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Okay. So for those whom he foreloved, he also, right, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is so important. And this is the definition of good. This is the definition of good. Because God knows what I just told you earlier, that our biggest problem is ourself, right? My biggest problem is not you, it's not my wife, it's not my kids. They're, they're a contributing factor. My biggest problem is my own sinful heart. Now, here's the deal. Because I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation. I'm not identified by my sin anymore, and that's good news. My identity is not in sin. My identity was in sin. Now Christ is at the center of me. He identifies me as his own. I'm a child of God. But we know that sin still resides, right? Sin is still there. All you have to do is, is look at your roommate or your, or your spouse or your kids to know that sin is still an issue, right? So we have these issues that we're walking around life with. And I truly believe that God is way more interested in your character than he is in your destination. God knows where he's going to take you. Like he has plans for you. Jeremiah 20, like he, he, has a, he has a good plan for you, plans to prosper you. But did you know that that promise was actually made to a people in captivity? Again, please read in context. Please. That promise was made to a people in captivity. And what God was actually saying is, look, you're actually going to be in captivity a little longer. But trust me, I know what I'm doing. Like, I know what I'm doing here. I love you, okay? I'm, I'm with you. I am for you. And because I'm for you, I'm actually going to be more about your deepest need than you can ever hope or imagine. Because your deepest need, beloved, my deepest need is conformity to Christ. That I would be conformed more and more into the image of his son. I love the work I get to do. I work across the, the pond there at Northwestern. You Northwestern folks in the house tonight? A few of you. I saw a few of you. It's funny. Every once in a while I'll be at work and all of a sudden come up to me after chapel and be like, dude, I was at this house and I saw your picture in the fridge last night. What's that all about? <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, that's, never mind. You won't understand. <laughs> um, so I, I love the work that I get to do with young adults. I, lo- I love a room like this. It's so full of energy. It's so full of people who have this sense of calling from God, right? I, I love that. People, that I'm called to ministry. I'm called to business. I'm called to missions. I'm called to the service industry. I'm called to wherever you feel called to. That's a wonderful thing. But listen, God is not worried about where you're going to end up. He's not worried about who you're going to marry. He's not sitting in heaven calling an emergency meeting of the Trinity, saying, how are we going to deal with this guy, right? Like, Jesus, you need to be on special alert for this dude because he is awkward, right? Like, okay, I, I would love to find her a husband, but, uh, you know, no, no. That is not how God sees us, right? He's not worried, okay? So the way I've heard this said before, and I really love this, is that way, God is way less interested in where he is taking us, and he is so involved and interested in who he is making us, you guys. He is, he, he's so less interested. He's still interested, right? But he's less interested in where he's taking us and more interested in who he's making us in the meantime. And I love that we see this all throughout Scripture, right? Moses in the backside of the desert. Dude was 40. When he went back there, it was 80 when he came back. What if, what if your, biggest, like, your biggest ministry didn't start until you were 80? Like, are you okay with that? I don't know. I don't know if I am. That's hard. That's hard, man. Like, be careful saying yes to that because that might be you, bro. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I'm cool with that. Okay, boom, you're in. Right? J- Joseph, right? So, jo- so Joseph has this dream. My brothers are going to bow down to me. They're like, dude, Stop has another dream. My parents, too. Wow, this is cool. And God's like, okay, slavery for you, too, then. <laughs> right? <laughs> Moses couldn't handle it. Neither can you, Joe. Slavery. Right? So he, he gets sold into slavery. Right? And there has to be a time along their life when they're thinking, God, what is the deal? What is going on? What, what is the deal? You, you made this promise to me. Right? You've called me. King David, man, anointed as a boy, right, to be king of Israel. King of Israel. Ends up serving as, as, a, as, a, as a, a violin player in the courts of an evil king, a wicked king, right? Finally has his moment in the sun with Goliath, right? Finally has his moment in the sun and slays the giant, has military victory after military victory. David has slayed his tens of thousands. Back into the wilderness he goes. Back into the cave, right? If you, again, if you catch nothing else, hear this tonight, okay? Some of you are in the cave right now. And listen, it is God's grace to you that he has not given you your dream yet. It seems like God has abandoned you. 
you may feel, right, like something is wrong, something is missing, God. You've equipped me for ministry. You've called me into ministry. I have this desire, this burning desire to do this, whether it's business or to be married or to, to be a father, to be a pastor, to be a businessman, to be a CEO. That's a wonderful thing. If you haven't achieved that yet, number one, you're so young. We're so young. Number two, it's God's grace to you that he hasn't given you that dream. It's God's grace to you that he hasn't given you that dream. God knows what our character can handle. And God help us if we ever get promoted to the, a level that our character can't keep up with. God help us. I, I'm, I totally believe you guys. This is why we see this in the church so much today. We see pastors whose ministries blow up campuses and thousands of people. And oh, by the way, 15 years later, a moral failure, right? An affair, an issue with money, right? And there, don't get me wrong, there's a, there's a ton of reasons why those things happen, but the primary reason is the heart. The heart. So way more than where God is taking you, he's interested in who he's making you right here and right now. God is interested in your conformity to Christ. And here's the deal. That hurts. Conformity to Christ hurts because it runs against everything that our flesh would try to, to do in us, right? It runs against everything that our culture would try to tell us. It run, runs against everything that we think is a quick fix to our life, Right? Like, getting rid of sin is not an overnight thing. Like, God isn't, I wish God would just take it away in a worship experience, but he's usually much more intentional and deliberate than that. Like, I wish I would be in a powerful worship experience, and I would just get done and be like, well, I didn't struggle with that anymore. That was cool. <laughs> and, and does God do that from time to time? Yeah, he does. Absolutely. But listen, that is the exception to the rule, and you are not the exception. <laughs> until God makes you the exception. So don't assume you're the exception. Assume you're the rule that God is going to work in and work in and work in through everything that comes into your life. All things work together for good. Not some things, not the, the good things. All things work together for the good of those who call on the name of God. What, are those, what, is, that, what is that good? It's conformity to Christ. And so even more than we focus on, God, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. Would we be a people that focuses on God? Who are you making me right now? What are you doing this work deep in my soul right now? And I believe when we get our eyes off of the things out here and put our eyes on the things that God is doing in here, like all the other stuff's going to take care of itself. Like God's going to open doors. God's going to promote you when he's ready. God's going to bring you into some stuff when, when he's ready for you to be there. We need to trust him that he knows and I don't. I just don't. I just don't know. I, I don't know at all. I just don't know. And he does. And we can trust him. He's a good father. And a good father also knows when to discipline his sons and daughters. Amen? So, we need to keep reading again, right? Because why? why? Why does God do this then? Like, what's the deal? So, so we know that God has saved me by grace through faith in Christ. We know that God's mission in my life, right, is to conform me to the image of his son. That's why I was saved. If you're asking the question, God, why did you save me? It was to conform me to the image of his son. It was to make you holy as he is holy. And that's a process that takes literally your entire life. Literally your entire life. So I don't think there's anybody walking around out there who's like, I got this down. No. Until the day you go to be with the Lord in glory, this will be a part of your life. Struggle with sin, sanctification, God's grace being active in your life. This will be a part of your life until the day that you go to be with the Lord. And I don't want, I don't want to say that to say like, okay, so buck up. We can celebrate that. We can just say, look, the struggle is real, Right? First John, walk in the light as he is in the light. I can walk in the truth about who God is. I can walk in the truth about who I am. And I can be okay with that. There's, there's something kind of freeing about just not having any secrets. Just not having to look over your shoulder and somebody's going to find out. Because this is who I am. The good news of the gospel is that he doesn't leave us that way. He spends the rest of your life pulling out the fruit of the Spirit, the righteousness of God in your life. Right? The fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit come in an instant. The fruit of the Spirit, man, not so much. All right, I love Paul. I hope, hope you talk about this still. I wish you should give this sermon sometime. Paul talks a lot in the early days about, about flying with two wings. Have you guys heard him talk about this before? So good, isn't it? Flying with the wing of the, of the, of the gifts of the Spirit, absolutely. Flying with the wing of the fruit of the Spirit, just as important. And God, help us if our gifts ever outweigh our fruit, which is our character, which is our Christ-likeness. But why does God, okay, why? What's the point? Okay, we got to keep reading again. I'm going to start all the way from the beginning. I know there's a lot of this. 
And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he foreloved, he also predestined, set in motion beforehand to be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's plan. In order that, another connector, right? This is why, in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. What? Like, what, what, is, what does that even mean, right? It's okay to ask that question. Again, this is where we have to know our Bibles and read our Bibles. This word firstborn, kind of confusing, right? Anybody confused by that? Like, what does that even mean? I was the firstborn of my family. Does that mean Jesus was the firstborn of his family? And actually, a lot, a lot of religions will actually use texts like this to try to prove that Jesus was a created being. Just somehow, Jesus was the firstborn, so God created Jesus somehow. Does that make sense? It's the same word that shows up in Colossians 1, actually my favorite chapter in the Bible. Um, just a fantastic chapter about Jesus. In verse 15, I'm going to read this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Again, we see that word, that in everything, he might be preeminent. And in here we see really what this word firstborn means. Again, let's use the Bible to interpret the Bible, amen? Verse 18, he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent basically means supreme. Seated above everything else, literally above all things. So this word firstborn, uh, this, this is going to be like way too much for somebody that's totally okay. I'm, I'm a nerd, so I, I like love reading theology and Greek, and I just love this stuff. This word firstborn is actually a Greek word called prototakas. I think I'm saying that right. I've heard a different, prototakas, sure, why not? Um, and what this word actually converts, it doesn't c- convey order of birth, right? So it doesn't say like Jesus was born, and then John was born, and then, you know. What this word actually con- conveys is this idea of superiority, that he would be the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? That Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. It means he is the supreme being that rules over death. Which means that because of Jesus' victory over death, that we get to participate in that victory that he has already had over death. Does that make sense? That's a glorious truth. He is the firstborn. He is the supreme of the, of, from the dead. The first fruits of the dead. So going back to there, if we're talking about this word firstborn, what does it mean? It means superiority, right? It means ultimately glorious. Okay, so back to verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the supreme among many brothers. Here's why God does this. It's not because he wants to make us glorious. It's not because he wants people to be impressed with us. God doesn't want people to look at me and say, that's a really awesome guy. That's a really awesome beard, right? (laughs) That's not what he wants, right? And it is an awesome beard. You can say it. It's okay. <laughs> but God doesn't want people to look at me and say, man, what, what a great guy. He wants people to look at me and say, what a glorious God. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship. We are the evidence of the goodness and the glory and the grace of God, walking, talking, testimonies to the grace of God. Do you realize that? That people would look at his people and say, wow, they were a bunch of idiots before. Still kind of are, but they're changing, right? Like God is changing them. They're becoming more righteous and more godly and more fruitful and just better people, more better to be around, fun to be around. They point me to something that I don't even understand myself, that people that don't, don't even know Christ would see him as glorious through the lives of Christians. We are his workmanship, created in Christ to do good works that he has set for us to do. So why has God saved me? He has saved me to conform me to his image. Why is he conforming me to his image? So that people would see him in us. People would see him in me, right? The mission of my life is godliness for the sake of the glory of Jesus Christ. Okay, the details are going to look different for other people. For some of you, that's going to be preaching the gospel in a, in a local church. For some of you, it's going to be being missionaries. For some of you, it's going to be serving faithfully in the service industry. For some of you, it's going to be serving faithfully in the business world in the nonprofit sector. The details are going to look different, but I promise you, if you're ever asking the question, God, what are you doing? This is what he is doing all the time, every time. So we're asking questions 
and looking for answers that we think we're looking for, but this is the answer we're looking for. God is working in you the image of Christ for the glory of his name. That is what he's doing right now. I can promise you that because scripture promises that. So here, my story a little bit more. So I, I got back from, ba- from, my, from my injury, had surgery, um, learned to relearn to use my right arm and I'll be real with you. Um, I just wasn't the same person, the same athlete I used to be. Things that I couldn't play. I wasn't as strong. I just wasn't as mobile. I just, it wasn't good. So I, I played out my, my time in, in basketball, and it, it, was, it was okay. Finished my career. Really, really wrestled with God. I still do, to be honest with you. If I'm real with you, that was hard, man. That was hard. And if you're wrestling with God over something in your past, that's hard. And I, I pray for you that you'll wrestle well. Not that you won't wrestle, but that you will wrestle well. Wrestle with faith. Wrestle with authenticity. Wrestle in the light. So I, I came out of, of that and, and really honestly went the opposite way of what I, I should have. So I kind of sank into some depression and some kind of into some alcohol and drug use. And then by grace, God started to drag me out of the pit. I don't have the kind of testimony where I'm like, you know, okay, July 14th, 19, 1994 was the day. For me, it's, man, it's so much more gradual than that. And for those of you that have that testimony of you have the, the, the date and time and the hour, that's wonderful. I just don't have that. It was, it was such a process for me. I, I, I can't tell you when I was in or when I was out. All I know is that God pursued me. All I know is that God loved me in the midst of my brokenness. And I know that Romans 5 became true, that in my darkest hour, in my sin, was when Christ died for me. That, that's all I can tell you. I don't know when it happened. All I can tell you is that God pursued me in the midst of my brokenness, in the midst of my mess, in the midst of my sin. And I thank God for that. I thank God for that. So I, I kind of came out of that and um, had a really, really good friend who actually was with me the nine years ago on that first night. Remains a good friend to this day. And we kind of walked this, this, this road together and um, day by day started to feel this call into ministry. You know, like, okay, I, 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 I'm comfortable in front of people and I can, I can kind of articulate a few things well. And I think I might want to do this pastoring thing or this ministry thing, um, which was really cool. But can I be honest with you? Nothing really changed. I just swapped basketball for ministry. I mean, can I be that honest with you? I just swapped basketball for ministry. And I want to beg some of you here tonight who you're called to ministry, specifically ministry, but a lot of other things. I want to beg some of you, don't let ministry or the idea of ministry rule your life. Don't get so focused on what you wish God was doing through you that you completely miss what God is doing in you. Don't get so focused on what you wish God was doing through you that you lose sight of what God is doing in you. He called David, right? Here's what you're going to do for me. But first, the cave. Moses, here's what you're going to do for me. First, backside of the desert, bro. Even Paul, we miss this about Paul, right? We read Acts and it's like, Paul just, he jumped right in. False. Galatians actually tells us Paul went for three years into the desert before he even started his ministry. We, we miss that. We, we read the highlight reel of scripture or other people's lives and we compare that with what we have going on in our hearts and behind the scenes. Don't play that comparison game, man. It's a killer. It is a killer. So if God has gifted you, that is awesome. Okay, that is great. Don't assume that God is going to bring you into that right now and it's actually God's grace to you that he hasn't. You're not the exception unless God makes you the exception. Right? So in my life, I swapped out basketball for ministry. Here I was, chasing ministry. It's a good thing. It's a good gift from the Lord. I had, I had some gifting in it. I was talented with it. It actually probably almost killed my marriage, my first two years of marriage. I was pursuing ministry above pursuing my family. Again, by God's grace, he, dro- he dragged me out of that. I praise God for that all the time. But more and more, by the grace of God, over the last nine, year- nine years, nine years, God has brought me into a much more healthy place, a place where I know what he's doing. I don't know where he's taking me. I don't know where I'm going to be next year. I love what I'm doing now. But more than that, I want to love what God is doing in me. I want to love the work that God is. I want to love the character of Christ that he's conforming in me. I want to love that more than ministry. I want to, to be honest, I want to love that more than my family. I do. I want to love that more than my wife. I want to love that more than my kids because that's going to make me a better husband for my wife. That's going to make me a better dad for my kids. It's going to make me a better pastor for Northwestern, for wherever I end up. I want to love the Lord Jesus and his work in me more than anything. That's a process. It's a process. So I want to end with kind of three. I do want to have some practicals here, right? Because what does this actually look like? Okay, that's great. That's all good stuff. It's true. But where, like, where do I, what do I do with that? Where do I, how do I actually see that play out? Three practical things. Number one, listen to God. Listen to God. 
And now I want to say something that you might don't take the wrong way. Okay. I say this as a person who loves the prophetic ministry. I say this as a person who, who completely believes and validates words of knowledge, prophetic words, words that were, I, I love that ministry. I thank God. I believe that ministry is continuing today. Okay. If you want to hear God talk, read the Bible. If you want to get here, if you want to hear God talk out loud, read the Bible out loud. Okay. And I, and, and, I, and I say that again, please hear my heart. I say that as somebody who believes in the prophetic, I, I believes in words of knowledge. I believe that, okay? I also believe that every single word of knowledge, every single prophetic utterance, right, is under the authority of the word of God. God will never, ever contradict something he has already said in his word. And how will we know what he's already said unless we read it and have it down deep in our gut? So a guy like Paul he, he knows more scripture than I have probably forgotten in my life, right? So when he gives a prophetic word, he's got a little more of a green light to say, here, boom, because he has that filter on high alert, right? Some of us, our filter is a little bit lower. You want to hear God speak? Read the Bible. And then do we practice prophetic ministry? Absolutely. Do we do that in a safe place? Absolutely. Do we do that with fear and trembling and humility? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, does that make sense? You hear my heart on that? Love the prophetic, love words of knowledge, want to hear God speak, read the Bible, want to hear him speak out loud, read the Bible out loud. Okay, number two, please walk in community. Your sanctification is a community project. It's not a lone wolf project, right? We kind of need to do, I love one of my, one of my favorite preachers, Paul Tripp says, we need to do away with the myth that nobody knows us better than ourselves, because we have a highly filtered, tainted view of ourselves, amen? <laughs> highly. Let's do is look at a bro's Instagram. I have the same thing, man. I have a highly filtered view of my own life, okay? Highly filtered. And so we need to be around people that know us, that aren't fans of us, but that are friends of us. You know what I'm saying? We need to put ourselves around people who are going to speak the truth and not be afraid to hurt us. Wounds from a friend, right? And it hurts. It does. We need to put ourselves around mentors who aren't afraid. I had one meeting with Paul a couple of, it was like four years ago. I walked away destroyed. I'm serious, and that's not to say anything negative about Paul. I needed it. As a young man, I needed it so bad. I walked away destroyed. I tell you, God has to destroy before he's going to build up. Now, destruction without, or sorry, destroying without rebuilding is just destruction. But destroying with the rebuilding, right, is gospel. It's kingdom. God has to tear down before he builds up. God has to kind of get us down to that foundation of like, I really got nothing left right now. I just got put in my place, and man, that stings, but man, was it right. Man, was it right. Didn't feel good. I'm so thankful he did. That was a turning point in my life. That was a turning point in my life, Paul. It was. Put yourself around people. Walk in community who's not a fan of you, but a friend of you. Walk in community with people who know you better than you know yourself. Your sanctification, your image of Christ in your life is a community project. It cannot be done alone. Okay, and the third thing, this is what I want to end on because I believe this is really going to hopefully hit home with a lot of you. Keep things in the right order. Specifically, the love of God. Keep things, for those of you who are Northwestern, you've heard me say this before, I'm going to say this over and over and over. Our sanctification does not cause God to love us more. God is not in love with some future version of you. God isn't in love with version 2.0 more than he is with, with the version that is sitting right here right now. God isn't in love with 80-year-old Christian you because you're somehow more holy, somehow more sanctified, somehow a quote-unquote better Christian. That's not how this thing works. God has already loved you perfectly in Christ, right? So what this means is, is you're free to be a mess. Can you just take a deep breath and say, man, I am screwed up. That feels good, doesn't it? It's like screwed up Maholics Anonymous, right? I am Drew and I'm a mess. Hi, Drew. Hi, right? I am a, a big, steaming mess most of the time. Praise God for his grace. Praise God for his grace. Here's how I like to see this played out. I, 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 those of you who've been around, you've probably seen my kids around here from time to time. Uh, my kids are so great. I love telling stories about them. Um, eventually, I'll probably have to stop and they get old enough to understand that I'm telling stories about them. <laughs> um, so our son Judah, he's six years old right now. I, I, I love this kid. He... Um, 
there was there was a time when he was about five that he he switched from like Curious George and stuff to like Avengers, which was so awesome. Like finally, <laughs> Spider Man and Avengers instead of Curious George and Martha speaks, you know. Um, <laughs> so so Avengers and, and and Justice League, he like knows the difference between Marvel and DC. I'm like, yes, I've won, <laughs> right? Um, and he also thinks DC is better, which is also a win. Um, amen. Um, so when he was young, he would always want to play characters, right? He was like, Dad, can we play characters? But, in, but he would kind of stumble over his words. Learning to talk is tough. Eng- English is tough, right? So he would say, Dad, can we play characters? I'm like, that's adorable, absolutely. <laughs> what I didn't say was, I would love to play with you. If you could just figure out how to say that word, I'd be all over it. <laughs> but listen, 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 listen. As a man who loves theology, as a man who wants to read the Bible correctly and to know the Greek correctly and to pronounce it correctly, I have to be so careful that I don't tie God's ability to love me with my ability, right, to understand him perfectly. That I don't tie God's ability to love me with my ability to read and know theology and doctrine. Right? Right? God already loves us perfectly. God's not in love with 10 years from now when I, when I have some more Greek words memorized or know how to say things better or know how to preach better when I preach better messages, Right? That'll be a good thing, and God will have done that by his grace, but it does not cause him to love me more. Our, our, little, our little son, Eden, he's the little tank running around here, four years old, um, just eats and 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 eats. We literally will have a picnic, and we'll get home. He's like, did we eat dinner? Like, yes, we just ate dinner. I'm hungry. We got home from Chipotle one day. He's like, when's dinner? I'm like, dude, we were just at Chipotle. He's like, Oh, yeah. When's dinner? <laughs> like, dude just loves to eat. So I always forget these. How big was he when he was born? I don't put him in the spot, Erica. 11-2 when he was born. For those of you that have no idea what that means, trust me, it's huge, okay? Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, just a big kid. Um, and he's, he's got the softest heart. He's so, but, sorry, so when he was learning to walk, already when kids are learning to walk, their kids are already way, their heads are already way bigger than the rest of their body. So, so basically, whenever they learn to walk, Whatever direction their head goes, that's where the, kind of the rest of them goes. So they, you know, they learn to walk, and their head will go this way, and their body will go this way. And to make matters worse, he's literally this, I mean, just like a bowling ball with arms and legs as he's trying to walk around. So he, he will fall down, and like, you ever seen the Christmas story? The kid's got the snow, he's rolling around trying to get up, but he can't get up off his back. Yeah, I mean, this is, this, is, this is our son Eden, and I, I, I love him. Um, here's what I wasn't thinking at that point. I wasn't thinking, dude, figure it out. Right? Like... Most of us do this walking thing every day. You know what? I so enjoyed leading him through that process of learning to walk. I so enjoyed picking him up when he would fall and and bang his head or bang his... I so enjoyed that. That was so much fun. How much more does our Father in heaven, right? 1 John 3, 1, see the love the Father has given that we should be called children of God. How much more does the Father delight in walking that journey with us, right? That's not saying, I really wish that I could do something through you, but you need to get this in order and that in order and figure this out. I wish I could love you more. Praise God, that's not how he looks at us. He looks at us through the lens of the, of the, cross, of, or the cross of Christ. And he also says, yeah, there's some things we're going to figure out, but I'm with you. And I'm not surprised by those things. I'm with you. I'll end with this. Our, our little daughter, Nora, she's, she's 22 months old right now. When she was born, having a girl, like, changes everything. I mean, for those of you that have, I don't know, probably none of you, except for, well, you guys have a little boy now. Having a little girl just changes everything. Like, it's, like, uh, so when I was sitting there holding that little girl on that first day, I was not thinking, I sure hope you don't grow up to disappoint me. I sure hope you marry a good pastor. Um, I sure hope that you, fo- I mean, I just, I really, we'll see. Here's what I was thinking. I was thinking, if anybody even looks at her wrongly, I will hurt you. I will hurt you. I am a Christian man, and I will hurt you. Don't, don't even think about looking at her the wrong way, bro. I will hurt you. That's how I felt about my daughter. Not because She hadn't done anything yet except for cry a lot. My heart, because there was something that, by God's grace, I had a hand in creating. That God, in his image that he has given to me, being made in his image, he's allowed us to create also things in our image. And my kids are created in God's image and also created in, my, in Eric and I's image, and I love that. 
I love that. I love my kids. God loves his kids. So that's you tonight. I really just feel strong. There's some of you that have this idea of God's love. If I just figured this out, God would love me more. Listen, the motive is love, okay? But the motive is not achieving more love. The motive is the love that we've already been given. Love is not out there like a carrot. Love is behind us, pushing us forward in the love of God. That's what this life is about. This life is about learning to live and trust in the love of God as bigger than anything we could ever struggle. That's why Romans 8 ends so epically, right? I mean, is there, is there a more epic ending to any chapter in the Bible than Romans 8? My goodness. But we have to understand the first half of the chapter, right? God's mission in my life is to conform me to the image of Christ for his glory, right? And nothing in this life can take me away from that. That's why it ends like this, and I'll end with this and we'll pray. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up all for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give, him, give us all things? Skip to verse 37, or 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. And this is real because what this is saying is like, look, these things are going to happen. They're going to happen. And the way that you interpret these events is so important because know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is the truth. So tonight I want to I want to assure you, beloved, God has loved you perfectly in Christ. I pray that tonight that the scales fall from your eyes. Let's just pray. Let's just close our eyes and pray together. I pray that the scales, Dusty, if you want to come up and play. I pray the scales would fall from our eyes tonight for those who are in this place and seeing things wrongly. God, would you change our eyes? Would you change our hearts to see what you see, to be about the things that you're about? Thank you, God, that you are relentlessly pursuing your image in us. You are so much more dedicated to that process than we are. God, we're sorry for the assumptions we have made, God, for the ways that we have walked away, for the ways that we have not trusted you in that process. So God, we just right now want to surrender. I really I want, to, I want to be bold right now. If, if that is you tonight, and don't raise your hand yet, but if that's you, if you're really feeling like, man, I, I need this view of God's love in my life. There's things happening in my life that I don't understand. God, I need, your, I need to trust you more. I need to know you more. I need to understand what you're doing, God. Would you do a work in me? If you're saying tonight, God, would you help me to be more concerned with what you're doing in me than what I wish you were doing through me? I want to ask you to be bold tonight and just put a hand up in the air. Go ahead and do that right now. If that's you, it's me. Go ahead and put the hand up nice and high. And if, if you're seeing those hands up, go ahead and, and gather around those, these beloved people tonight. And, and just we want to pray. We can't do anything to change hearts, but God can do everything to change hearts. So keep that hand up nice and high in the air until somebody's around you. Let the hand on your shoulder. Or I'm going to ask you to wherever you're at in the room, just go ahead and pray out. Pray in faith. We serve a God who knows. We serve a God who changes hearts. We serve a God who, by his grace, moves in such a way that we are never the same once we encounter him. God, thank you that you have a plan. Go ahead, just pray out. I'm going to pray. You go ahead and pray out. God, thank you that you have a plan for our lives. God, we can't always see what you're doing. Our views are filtered, God. I pray that the scales would fall from our eyes in Jesus' name. I pray that you would change our vision, that you would change our hearts towards you. Just pray for those who are struggling to feel your love, God, that you would encounter them with the reality that your love is not contingent upon their ability to follow you. Your love is not attached to our ability to love you back. Your love is not contingent upon our ability to read our Bibles well or to pray well, but God, that you love, your love for us is already perfect. Because of that love, we are free to struggle. We're free to be a mess. We're free to pursue you. Just go ahead and keep praying wherever you're at.
know for that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We're going to go back into worship for a few songs. If, you're, if you want to stand, if you want to sit, if you want to just let God deal with you, feel the freedom in this place to do that. We're going to worship for a few more songs and then I'm going to break into some small groups later on. But um, love you. Thank you for having me. God loves you. His love for you is perfect. Um, so if, wherever you're at, just keep on praying. Stay in a place with God. Stay in a worship. There's freedom in this place to do what you got to do, to be a mess, to ask for prayer, to ask for help. So that'll turn it back over to the worship team and we'll go from there.